If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Big stories, big guests, the big picture. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge. Weekdays 1230 to 3, 770 CHQR. Okay, so we got a couple of stories this week that kind of cut to some pretty basic questions around uh, this novel coronavirus and, and COVID-19, both in terms of how it's spread and how we test for it. So we got this study out today suggesting that there's a, a potential issue with false negatives in the way that we're testing people, which is obviously alarming then if someone has COVID-19 and we tell them that they don't, well, there's the potential for, for that, that further spread, obviously. So I want to touch on that. Also, there's, there's been a lot of confusion this week, I, I think, resulting from some comments from the World Health Organization about asymptomatic transmission and how rare they say it is. And I think a lot of people took that to mean, well, okay, then obviously it's symptomatic people. It's sick people who are spreading the disease. Let's isolate the sick and we should have no problem. But unfortunately, it's, it's not that simple. And I think there's some important distinctions to make between asymptomatic pre-symptomatic and mildly symptomatic. So I want to try to sort some of these issues out. Joining us uh, for some thoughts on all of this, very pleased to welcome here to the program this afternoon, Dr. Isaac Bogonch, uh, clinical investigator with Toronto General Hospital Research Institute uh, with a focus on uh, infectious disease and clinical epidemiology. Dr. Bogonch, thanks so much for joining us here. Welcome to the program. Oh, thanks for having me back on. Okay, well, let's start with this study today about uh, the, the testing we're doing, the potential of false negatives. How, how concerned are you? Well, I mean, I think as long as the tests are done and they're, you know, balanced with the appropriate counseling, I think mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's going to be okay. And, you know, if someone has compatible signs and symptoms of a COVID-19 infection and they're early on in that course of illness, a negative test shouldn't necessarily rule out infection by itself. And we know that, uh, you know, some te- not many, but some tests can be, uh, can be negative early on in the course of infection. So, you know, you can think of a couple of ways around that. Number one, you can say, you know what, okay, uh, you have compatible signs and symptoms, that test negative, but you know what, we're in the middle of a pandemic, you've got to isolate yourself for 14 days. Another approach would be, hey, you know what, isolate yourself for the next couple of days, come back and let's retest you. And if you've got two negative tests, you know, maybe about 48 hours apart, mm-hmm. you can be a lot more certain that that's a true negative test and not a false negative test. So, you know, it's, it, it can happen. And, you know, I, I'm seeing this from time to time here in, in my clinical practice, and that, that's how I've been approaching it. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, the good news is that if somebody's sick, um, that, that theoretically they, they should be staying home and isolating anyway. Uh, so hopefully that that might negate whatever message is sent by by a false negative, right? Yeah, and the other point too is you know of course we're in the middle of a pandemic and we have to be thinking about COVID nineteen, but you know as as clinicians we have to be open minded as well. We can't have tunnel vision and think that everything's going to be COVID nineteen. There's a lot of causes for fevers, yeah. cough, shortness of breath, muscle aches and pains, and, and certainly you know we shouldn't be perplexed when a COVID nineteen test comes back 
as negative because we should be thinking of, you know, the list of infections that's longer than my arm, uh, you know, that can cause the same type of clinical syndrome. So we've got to be good clinicians. Of course, we've got to be mindful of what the strengths and weaknesses of the COVID-19 tests are. But, uh, you know, I think we have most clinicians would have a good approach to this and know how to manage these cases. Well, and that's encouraging because, I mean, there's obviously the potential then that that we're getting further spread from individuals who are testing negative or maybe some of those cases of community spread that we're unable to to link it back to a confirmed case. Maybe this might explain some of those. Right. That's the fear, obviously, then. Right. That there's there's stuff out there that we're missing. Yeah. Yeah. You you know, and you're 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 I'm I've no data to back this up, but I imagine you're totally correct here. I mean, we're not perfect. The test isn't perfect. And I think there are going to be a few cases that slip past the goalie and cause ongoing community spread. I think that's that's going to that's just going to happen. And it probably has been happening and it will continue to happen. But if we can minimize that as much as possible by being astute clinicians and, and having good policies and, and protocols in place to really minimize that, I think we'll be doing OK. And, you know, you look at a place like you know, Alberta uh, so far and, you know, Alberta done remarkably well i mean i, I mean that province has done really a, a good job getting the virus under control and of course there's been some high profile outbreaks but it's yeah. not really a failure of any policy it's uh it's expected it's uh this is the natural history of this virus we're going to see this uh until we have a vaccine or until we have a durable solution out of the mess that we're in this is just there are going to be patchy outbreaks of this virus even with the best laid plans that's uh, extremely likely to be seen uh, moving forward well that's the thing and i mean you know yeah you'll get outbreaks i guess the challenge is how you respond to them and and i think we've been effective in in doing that here in alberta and testing is a big part of that so i i think we need to remember the value of testing maybe there's a tendency here you know let's let's throw the baby out with the bathwater, so to speak that we're getting false negatives therefore you know we need to de-emphasize testing that that would be a big mistake wouldn't it I, I completely agree. I mean, the testing is still the best strategy we have, and I think we should remember that the testing is actually really good. And, you know, it's not just this test. That that whole issue about having some false negative tests applies to just about every diagnostic test in infectious diseases. Like, mm-hmm. no diagnostic test is perfect. There's always some rate of false negatives. There's always some rate of false positives. And when a clinician is ordering a diagnostic test, uh, that clinician should know how to put the test into the appropriate clinical context and the appropriate epidemiologic context to accurately interpret that test. And they should know when to retest, when to trust the test, when to not trust the results of that test. I mean, really, it's uh, it's managing uncertainty, and uh, and you know that's that's part of the business of uh, clinical medicine is managing uncertainty. So, I mean, it's. You know, I appreciate that there's a, a tremendous uh, lens on, on COVID-19 right now and, and such a focus on this. And there's never before has the general public been watching something in, in medicine so and public health so closely. But, you know, if we extend that lens to look at other areas of infectious diseases and medicine, you'll find the exact same problems that we contend with. It's just not necessarily on the global scale that we're dealing with COVID-19 at the moment. Yeah. I do wonder, and this might apply to the question of testing, might also get us into the question of, of transmission. When it comes to viral load and, and severity of illness, are, are, are sicker people, uh, do, do they have a higher viral load? Are they shedding more virus? And are they more likely then uh, to, to, or to put it another way, are they less likely to have a false negative if they have a higher viral load or are shedding more virus? 
That's probably the case. You'd think we'd have a much better understanding of that six months in, but we don't entirely. And, you know, there are some good studies that are, you know, quantifying how much virus people have, the viral load. They're quantifying, you know, they're really measuring the severity of symptoms. They're measuring the duration of symptoms. They're looking at how transmissible people are to others. And, you know, in general, in general, there's always going to be exceptions, but in general, the sicker you are, the more virus you're shedding, the more likely you are to have a positive diagnostic test. Of course, there's asterisks beside this. Of course, there's caveats. But uh, that's a pretty good general principle. And, you know, that might be a nice segue to chat about, you know, this whole saga of this yes. uh, <laughs> asymptomatic spread. Well, and I know I've asked you about this before when yeah. we, we've spoken. And, you know, there is a big difference between someone who's truly asymptomatic uh, versus someone who's not yet symptomatic or someone who's mildly symptomatic. And, and I guess does yeah. that kind of help explain the, the confusion this week? I think so. I, I think so. You know, it's really unfortunate. I, I know there's a lot of strong opinions out there about the World Health Organization, but quite frankly, I'm a I'm a firm believer that you know that that is the quarterback from a global standpoint. And you know, of course, it's not perfect, and of course, we have to hold leaders accountable. Uh, but that is the quarterback. And you know, if there's problems with it, we should fix the problems rather than scrap it altogether. Uh, but you know, they've got to get it right. And of course, everyone's human. Everyone makes mistakes. But that was like a pretty big gaffe we heard yesterday. You know, they're saying, well, you know, we don't, asymptomatic people don't really transmit the infection. And then today, or yesterday, I guess they sort of backtracked and said, well, you know, maybe they're responsible for some. It was actually a confusing, both messages were rather confusing, which is, <laughs> which is rather unfortunate. But I think the key point here is, yeah, as you point out, we know that some people have no symptoms for the first couple of days and then go on to develop symptoms later on. And during that initial period when they're infected but not yet having symptoms, they, can, they certainly can transmit the virus to others. There's excellent data documenting it. And, you know, you imagine you're shedding virus and you don't even feel that sick for the first few days. So, you, you know, all those close contacts, the people that live under your roof, you know, these are people likely to get infections. Yeah. Um, but, of course, the other point is, you know, to what extent do people who have zero symptoms from the time they're infected to the time they clear their virus you know, what proportion of people are like that? We don't really know. I mean, there's some data looking at it, but not a lot. To what extent are those individuals responsible for further transmitting the virus? Uh, we don't entirely know either. And a lot of that's our own fault. I mean, we haven't really been rigorous in our definitions from the very beginning. And this has been confused by the medical and scientific community from the beginning. So we only have ourselves to blame for this confusion, unfortunately. There's also, I guess, you know, the fact that, that COVID-19 can manifest itself in, in some weird ways. And I do wonder then if, if there are those who think they were asymptomatic who kind of, you know, brushed off that headache or brushed off that, that sore throat or, or brushed off some other kind of weird oh, yeah. or, or mild symptom, right? Home run. Uh, home run. I totally agree with you. And, you know, I think the, we can harness this. I mean, if we essentially have good public health education and really inform people, hey, you know what, COVID-19 can have mild symptoms, you can just have muscle aches and pains, mild fever, chills, small, you know, a small cough, it doesn't have to be severe. If we really educate people on that, and if we simultaneously provide easy, convenient access to diagnostic testing, and we almost normalize diagnostic testing, you say, oh, yeah, I feel a little unwell, I'm just going to go down to that center and walk in and get a get a test done, you know, we will likely be able to identify 
far more people than we are now. And of course, if you identify people, you can isolate them, support them through a period of isolation. You can do the contact tracing to ensure that other people don't spread in the community. You can really do a lot of good. So I think it's really important that we are publicly aware of what the symptoms are, including the very mild symptoms, and and then ensure that those individuals are captured by the system so that they don't contribute to community transmission. Yeah. Well, here in Alberta, as you probably know, we opened up testing to to asymptomatic individuals. Uh, about 14,000 people came forward and we found six cases. So it's a really low number. Maybe that speaks to just low rates of transmission to begin with in Alberta. But but what do you make of that? Yeah, I mean, that's fantastic to see. I mean, this is what a good news story. You've got, you know, six out of 14,000. You captured them early. Hopefully, hopefully they're not transmitting to other people. I mean, that's... Uh, that's uh, really interesting. And I mean, I think we have to also think about appropriate use of resources. And, you know, I'm sure making making testing available to anyone is, is, a, is a fantastic idea. And we can also use these programs and, and really focus these diagnostic testing, uh, this diagnostic testing capacity to areas where we know there's going to be pockets. So, you know, factories where people are working elbow to elbow, daycare centers, you know, uh, jails. Yeah. long-term care facilities. And, and, and you know, we know that play, the virus can get introduced in those places pretty quickly. And when it is introduced, it just spreads like wildfire. So it'd be great to sort of focus that diagnostic capacity on, on early detection systems in those places. Now, my dad told me, uh, you know, I kept using the word surveillance because that's what it is. It's a surveillance system. But my dad said, don't use that word surveillance because people often <laughs> interpret it the wrong way and think the government's spying on you. That's true. It is a surveillance system, but it's really not that type of surveillance system. It's an early detection system. So I thank my dad for that. He's in Calgary. Well, we're spying on the enemy, basically, is what we're doing. Right? The virus <laughs> is the enemy. We're, we're spying on the enemy. Exactly. And it's the right, it's the right approach. If we can detect it early... We can catch those those cases early. We can prevent them from spiraling out of control. And uh, certainly we do a lot of good. It, and it's also it's good health, but it's also good for the economy. I mean, it prevents public health shutdowns. It prevents people from having to isolate. It prevent, you know, you imagine the disruption of shutting down an entire daycare center and all the kids in there. I mean, that means one of those parents has to stay at home with the kid. Uh, you know, that, that there's a huge ripple effect that goes well beyond shutting down a place like a daycare or, uh, you know, any, any facility. Uh, so, we, you know, these have, this has tremendous you know, health, but also economic and financial and you know, social implications. So it's a big deal. And, uh, and those, those early detection systems can really help on a lot of different fronts. Indeed. Well, we'll leave it there. Uh, great insight as always. Uh, Isaac Bogach, thanks so much for joining us here this afternoon. Appreciate it. No, anytime. Have a great day. You as well. That's Dr. Isaac Wilcotch, a clinical or clinician investigator with the Toronto General Hospital Research Institute and a focus on tropical disease, infectious disease, and clinical epidemiology. So some great insight from him on, on some you know pretty fundamental questions in all of this. Our number here, 403-974-TALK, 974-8255. Back with more right after this. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.